0: Welcome back to Privacy Pals with Jaylee Polstoy and Kinsey Callio. This is our final episode in the series and Privacy Pals is a podcast where we will share information surrounding digital privacy in the 21st century. My name is Jaylee Polstoy
1: and I'm Kinsey Callio and we'll be your hosts for today.
0: In today's episode we will be discussing privacy and surveillance and talking about different perspectives of ethical approaches. I will be sharing about deontology and care ethics
1: and I'll be talking about utilitarianism and dialogic ethics. First, we're gonna be talking about utilitarianism. This approach focuses on the consequences or effects of our actions. Under this approach, ethical decision-making is based on the costs and benefits of our actions and how we weigh them. Utilitarianism talks about making a decision based on the greatest good for the greatest number of people. So for example, if your friends are throwing a pizza party, but you're very tired, you would most likely weigh the costs and benefits of going to the party or staying home and getting rest. Benefits could be that you would have a good time, you would make memories with your friends, but the cost would you would not get enough sleep. While the benefits of staying home would be that you do get enough sleep, but you miss out on a good time with your friends. So how does this apply to privacy online? In an article by Paul Rosenzweig from November 2014 titled Privacy as a Utilitarian Value, he says, Rather, I see privacy as an instrumental value, one that acts in service of other societal values. In other words, privacy is, my, is in my view, a utilitarian value that derives its worth only insofar as it fosters other pro- positive social gains. Privacy, for its own sake, is only an assertion of fictitious autonomy and a vain attempt to withdraw from society. It has a value principally insofar as it advances other objectives." So in short, Rosenzweig sees privacy as a utilitarian value because of the positive social gain. It also does encourage us to consider the both short and long-term outcomes of our actions, with ethics being at the center for the outcomes of the action. So there are two types of utilitarianism, act and rule. Act utilitarianism involves thinking about all the possible outcomes and making a decision based on what you think is the best alternative. Manning and Stroud 2008 give a simple definition which reads, one ought to do the action that will create more social utility than any alternative possible action. So basically weighing the pros and cons of the decision at hand. Now rule utilitarianism is defined by Manning and Stroud as one should do the action that is in the accord with the rule that would, if generally followed, create more social utility than any alternative rule. Basically, we would have to think about the alternatives instead of looking at the outcomes of one decision. We can look at the alternative decision making. Taken from our class notes from Dr. Linneberry in 2021, it says, With utilitarianism, there are different approaches to defining utility. Key people include Jeremy Bentham, who would argue that the goods reflect pleasure while the costs reflect pain. And John Stuart Mills, who argues that there are higher and lower levels of pleasure and therefore defines goods based on happiness. Now will pass it
0: on over to Jaylee to talk about deontology. Thanks, Kenzie. Deontology is your black or white, this or that concept. Deontology focuses on universal rights, rules, and duties, which are the means. The key figure in this ethical perspective is Immanuel Kant. A key term to know is that Kant's categorical imperative, which is act only according to the maxim, which is your moral principle, by which you can at the same time that it would become a universal law. This comes from the research that Manning and Stroud did in 2008. Kant's principle is often used to justify both a fundamental moral right, the right to freely choose for oneself, and also rights related to fundamental rights. These related rights can be grouped into two broad categories, negative and positive rights. Negative rights, such as privacy, these rights are called negative rights because such rights are claimed by one person that imposes a negative duty on all others the duty not to interfere with the person's activities in a certain area the right to privacy for example imposes on us the duty not to intrude into the private activities of a person next is positive rights positive rights are positive in the sense that they claim for each person the positive assistance of others in fulfilling basic constituents of human well-being like health and education. This all comes from Velasquez, Andre, Shanks, and Meyer in 2014 when they wrote an article when talking about rights and applied ethics. When it comes to privacy, let's look at an example from being able to share data and being surveilled as the maxim. A deontologist would look at this and then decide if this is something that would be okay to do or something that's not okay to do. If using a deontological perspective, then there is no case by case basis or trying to do the most good and the least harm. It's all about accepting the maxim or completely rejecting it in its entirety. If this maxim would be accepted, then someone with this perspective would be fine with companies sharing and looking at their personal data and they would be all right if the information was revealed to others. On the other hand, if this maxim is rejected, then they would have the mindset that nothing about data sharing is okay and it should never happen on their accounts and they should never be surveilled.
1: Hey everyone, I want to remind you that that there is a Google form in the show notes. We would love to have you fill it out and provide us with any feedback that you have. Remember to open the show notes and scroll down to the bottom to access the link. Thanks. Now back to the show.
0: We will now be moving into dialogic and care ethics. Let's start with dialogic.
1: A book by Tompkins 2019 titled Alternatives to Modern Ethical Theories states that there is no precise definition of dialogue, but dialogic ethics focuses on seeking understanding and seeing the humanness in others and seeks to see others as subjects rather than objects. So basically, this is concerning dialogue between two people. It's really easy to misunderstand someone, and it happens all too often. Especially online, when you can't see the other person, it's really easy to see them as an object rather than a real person with feelings and emotions. According to Tompkins, dialogue is defined as a communication practice characterized by willingness to continue to communicate with another with openness for mutual understanding. When people understand each other in conversation, they will then acknowledge each other as human beings instead of as objects. Tompkins goes on to say that the goal of dialogue is to reach mutual or shared understanding that affirms each other's humanity. It is not to make decisions or resolve disagreements. So there are three qualities of dialogic ethics of communication, and that includes presentness, which is focusing our attention on the immediate now of communication and staying in the present moment. Then tensio- tension, mutuality, which is recognizing that shared understanding cannot exist without an other whose feelings and thoughts are different from your feelings and thoughts. It also requires us to not assume we know everything that an other means. Lastly is authenticity, which is being honest and communicating who we are while also being open to understanding another. All of this information is derived from the work of Martin Buber, a philosopher and theologian. Buber describes di- dialogue as a communication that creates an I-thou relationship. In an I-thou relationship, the communicator re- recognize one another as human beings. They treat each other with respect and as an equal. On the other hand, in an I-it relationship, it is created by monologue. Bubber says that in an I-it relationship, monologue is created in which one person views the other as an object to be examined or to achieve some goal. So because of this, I-Thou relationships are very important because they allow the communicators to see each other as people instead of as objects that they can gain something from. So in regards to privacy online, it would be unethical to view someone's information as an object when in reality it's part of them and they are another human being. To put this into perspective, Tompkins says to look at a cashier at a grocery store. They communicate monologically with the people shopping because if they took the time to communicate dialogically, they would lose business because they have the goal within the relationship, and that goal is to check out the customers. The same thing could be applied to an online shopping website. While it's important for the owners of the website to make a relationship with their customers, their ultimate goal is to sell consumers their product, making the interaction monological. Both monological communication and dialogical communication are important. However, we can't develop as human beings by only using monologue.
0: So now I'll be talking about care ethics. In the same book that Kinsey mentioned earlier, Tompkins 2019, states that care ethics focus on discerning and deliberating about how to care responsibly and competently for the specific needs of another. Care ethics is basically the opposite of what I talked about earlier about deontology. Care ethics focuses on the certain situation of a person in order to make a decision. It is situated around the person's need rather than the principal. For example, a professor can set deadlines for assignments and have a zero tolerance for late work policy, while another professor could practice care ethics and analyze why a student turned in their late work and make a decision based off of the needs of that student. Some key components that are involved with care ethics are, one, being attentive by recognizing the needs of others, two, having a sense of responsibility to respond to that recognized need with an act of care, three, practice competent care, and four, be responsive to the person that is being cared for, including their point of view. Tompkins says that the experience of caring or being cared for is natural caring. This comes from the affection in our close personal relationships. The affection that we have for that person gauges our response to the needs of that person. Ethical care is discerning or deliberating about how to care responsibly and completely for the specific need of the other. Now let's tie this to privacy. First, let's think about healthcare. care. Everybody has a medical record that contains information about who they are and everything from their blood type to what type of procedures that they've had done. If we think about this with an ethics of care mindset, we can discern that on a case-by-case basis, what should be done and what should be shared and what should not be shared. Obviously, if you're going to have a procedure done, you will want your doctors to be up to speed on what's going on, but your medical records are not something that should just be shared with anyone and everyone, thus a case-by-case basis. During our class, we had a week where everyone facilitated a discussion about a case of their choice one student in our class talked about media coverage and mass shootings. The idea behind this is that the media coverage impulses this endless cycle of mass shootings, mainly caused by focusing on the shooter, they might be inspiring other individuals to copycat this behavior. For this problem of media coverage, some organizations have started to create platforms that promote awareness about covering mass shootings and the impact that it has on society. This comes from Valdez's case study in 2021. This can be applied to care ethics because what the media does for one mass shooting, they do not have to do for other ones. There's a lot of pressure from news sources to release information about what has happened, but they may not have all the information, so it might be better for them to wait in some cases, especially when thinking about the different stakeholders, such as the victims, their families, and their collective privacy. So to give you a quick recap, we're gonna define each of these approaches.
1: So utilitarianism is doing the greatest good for the greatest amount of people. This includes the costs and benefits of the decision you're making. Also, there are two types of utilitarianism, act and rule. Act is looking at the outcomes for the decision being made and rule is looking at alternative decisions before making one.
0: Deontology, if you recall, I mentioned that is your black or white or this or that concept. Remember that deontology focuses on universal rules, rights and duties, which are the means. And then there's the maxim that is included that will either be accepted and will always be okay or it will be rejected and it will never be allowed.
1: For dialogic ethics, that focuses on seeing the other as human rather than an object. And the three important key terms included presentness, intentional mutuality, and authenticity.
0: And lastly, care ethics focuses on the certain situations that a person is facing in order to make a decision. It is situated around the person's need rather than the principle. Everything is looked on by a case-by-case basis, and there's no one-size-fits-all. This is basically the opposite of deontology. So now that you've heard a little about these four different ethical approaches, is there one that you found yourself resonating the most with? If any of you listeners have questions about what was talked about today, feel free to contact myself or Kenzie.
1: Don't forget to fill out the Google form and check out additional resources in the show notes. Thank you all so much for listening to our podcast series. We appreciate your support and hope to hear from you all soon.